Hey, I'm Matt. Hi, I'm Haley. Today we're talking about careers in impact consulting. For this episode, we're joined by Jasmine Relaford, Stern class of 2019. She's currently working at the Bridge Span Group. And today we're talking about how to find the North Star in your career, what it's like working in the social impact space, and how someone working on such weighty issues can maintain a hopeful attitude about the future. And with that, let's jump in. So thank you so much, Jasmine, for being with us today. We're so excited to be speaking with you. We'd love to just know a little bit more about your background, your experience. How did you end up at Stern? But moreover, how did you end up where you are now? Sure. Um, and thanks, Matt and Haley and the whole Stern Chats team for inviting me. I'm like excited. Listen to a lot of podcasts while I was a student. So excited to be a guest. So a little bit about me. I, before business school, was working at PwC doing public sector consulting, worked primarily with a government client that uh, was in charge of the government-wide payments and credit card program. And off the side of my desk, I was doing a bunch of pro bono projects. I was working with nonprofits in, in the D.C. area. I had the opportunity to go down to Belize and teach financial literacy. Um, and at a certain point, I was like, you know what? This needs to not be my side hustle. This needs to be the main thing that I do um, with my career. And ultimately decided to pursue grad school. And to be really honest, I was looking at not only MBAs, but also masters in public policy and public administration type programs as well and joint programs as well. And I think the common thing for me is I was looking at a lot of the organizations that I admired um, that was doing a lot of the really good impact work that I was passionate about. Um, I was looking at the Gates Foundation, the Rockefeller Foundation. I was looking at some of the organizations that I had worked with in D.C. and seeing what was some of the trends of the folks in the leadership positions at those organizations. And more often than not, folks either had a deep expertise, and by deep expertise, I mean a Ph.D. level expertise in things like health or education, and knew that that wasn't personally the route I wanted to take. And folks also had MBAs. And as somebody who did business undergrad, I was like, let me figure out how to wield my MBA for good um, and ultimately decided to pursue an MBA and chose Stern um, for a multiple, multitude of reasons. I think Stern, one of the things that I, I realize, and if you're a social impact person looking to, to go into MBA, I think Stern does a really good job of teaching its students how private sector capital can be wielded for good. And I knew that's the space that I wanted to be in. And so wind up going to Stern, focused on strategy um, and sustainable business and innovation, which is our you know, social impact concentration. And while I was at Stern, I knew if I wanted to be in the social sector, I needed to get experience working actually at a nonprofit, not just consulting. I think the beautiful thing about Stern and being in New York is that there's all these opportunities to do in-semester internships. So I wound up interning at a nonprofit in the city called DoSomething.org. They are a tech platform that completely focuses on campaigns for young people, um, and they're cause agnostic. So everything from climate to racial justice to reproductive rights, um, all the young people on their platform are, are driving campaigns focused on those causes. And learned a ton from this organization about fundraising, about operating models, about how they really deliver for their constituency, who are these young people across the world, across the United States, I should say. 
And when I was looking for my internship, I had this calculus of, do I go to the social sector? Do I stay in the private sector? Um, Or there's kind of these combination roles where it's maybe social enterprise. I had a wide gamut of what I was recruiting for. And so I ultimately wound up choosing MasterCard and joined MasterCard full-time once I graduated because MasterCard had a huge strategic pillar focused on financial inclusion. And I had a payments background pre-business school, so it seemed like a nice merge between what I was passionate about and what skill set I had to use. So I joined MasterCard, did their rotational program, got to do a bunch of really awesome financial inclusion type work, um, worked on a platform to develop portable benefits for gig workers, um, worked with our Latin American and Caribbean region to build out a financial inclusion strategy and something that we called the Tech for Good Partnership that brought together some of the biggest players around the region to focus on the most vulnerable consumers. And when I was at the end of my rotations, I knew I wanted to continue focusing on social impact. And while financial inclusion is a huge strategic pillar of MasterCard, it's not the only thing they do. Um, And so wind up looking for opportunities that I could continue working in the social sector and wind up joining the BridgeBand Group, um, which is a nonprofit consulting firm that was born out of Bain Consulting. So our clients are some of the largest philanthropists, foundations, and nonprofits around the world. Um, and we support them with a lot of those traditional like management consulting type projects, but specifically focused and tailored on the social sector. Awesome. Very cool, Jasmine. I, one question I have for you is when you, you, know, you wanted to work in the social sector, why did you choose a company like Bridgespan instead of something like a foundation or a nonprofit directly? Why why did you choose to go the more consulting side as opposed to the industry side, so to speak? Yeah, great question. And I think this is something that's relevant to folks who are interested in consulting in general. But I think that you get the versatility of being a generalist when you are a consultant. You get to work on a bunch of different impact areas and causes. Um, and so if you ask me what my passion is and what impact area I'm, I'm most affiliated to, I will say it is all about economic mobility and closing the racial wealth gap. Now, there's multiple facets that you could do that. MasterCard focused on the financial services system, but you could also focus on education. You could also focus on mental health. You could also focus on access to healthcare. Um, and Bridgeman focuses on all of those things. And so for me to feel like to deliver the impact that I really wanted to do in this economic mobility space, I knew I needed to learn more about how other impact areas connected to economic mobility and what levers really needed to be pulled so that we could achieve the impact um, and this transformative change in the future. I love the idea too of knowing where you wanted to go and how you're finding your way to Bridgeband to really focus on a wide breadth of economic mobility. When I think about impacts consulting, my first thought is, what is that? Um, I'd love to know more too, of like at Bridgeband, sorry. I'd love to know more about how at Bridgeband, what kind of like specific projects or work do you do? Um, you mentioned you're closing the gap, the wealth gap, as well as the economic gap, but what are some like different projects you do at work? Thank you for this question, because I I do think I get the privilege to use my MBA skill set to solve some of these really meaty problems, economic mobility or other causes. So at Bridgman, we have a couple of types of projects or cases that you could work on. 
we have those traditional management consulting cases where you're working with a nonprofit and building out their strategy. um, And it can be a number of things. So currently, I'm supporting a mental health organization based out of Detroit. They have had immense success in Detroit and Michigan at large, but are thinking about how they expand their programming nationally. And so this is very much like a scale case. If you think of a traditional consulting case, like you're thinking about scale. Now, there will be considerations that are financial considerations as well as capacity considerations. But ultimately, the impact is at the center of how we're determining where is the next place that you need to go. And for this particular client, equity is such a huge focus for them. And so they had made a conscious decision as they scale to target Title I schools and students and communities who are underrepresented and don't have access to these traditional mental health services. So that's an example of, a, I would say, a more traditional case that we have. Um, we have a, other, a couple of other cases. We do um, some due diligence work um, where we will maybe work with a foundation or philanthropist who's really interested in a particular impact area and wants to give a certain sum of money to particular organizations in that area. So I've worked with, for example, a corporate foundation that was focused on community colleges and wanting to really, as we talk about economic mobility and closing the racial wealth gap, really wanted to invest in Black and Latinx communities and students. A lot of those students wind up going to community college first. So they made an educated decision to make investments not only in the four-year space, not only in the workforce development space, but also in the community college space. So we helped identify particular partners that they could engage with in the community college space. And then the last two types of cases are a little, they're not as common, but you could definitely be staffed on them if you were um, at BridgeBand. And I have had the privilege of having all the types of cases um, that we have at BridgeBand. One is a knowledge case. Um, So As BridgeBand, we are a thought leader in the space and oftentimes try to be as transparent with some of the best practice and learnings that we're learning from both our philanthropic and philanthropy clients, as well as our nonprofit clients. And so an example of this is uh, the first case I actually uh, worked on, we did research focused on barriers to capital for feminist movements and feminist organizations. Our big kind of takeaway from this research was if you look at all gender related funding, less than 1% goes to gender justice movements, feminist movements that are focused on the root causes of some of these inequities. And it's not just gender inequities. It also has to deal with white supremacy. It also has to deal with colonialism, depending on where you are in the world. Um, And that actually will be published uh, in a couple of weeks. So happy to share with folks some of the research that we had to motivate folks in the the philanthropic sector to give to these organizations. And then the last piece is um, leading for impact or what we call FI. And we also have an accelerator. I almost think of it as like a startup accelerator for smaller nonprofits. So these are nonprofits that typically have like $10 million of, of budget or less. And they are really looking to break through to the next level, right? Like they've done some really good work, um, but they're at that that critical kind of early growth stage where they're thinking of how do we think of our strategy broadly? How do we think about structuring our teams? How do we think about racial equity? Um, How do we think about aligning our programs to our strategy? And so we help um, a bunch of organizations across a multitude of project areas, and they have almost like a cohort type structure so that organizations are really able to learn from each other because there's such benefit in the entire sector working together to to solve some of these big challenges. Wow, that's amazing. I'm so curious too about the report that you were mentioning in the knowledge space. Would love to read that 
um, when it comes out. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to put that on the website or somewhere where folks can access it. It sounds really interesting. When it comes to social impact consulting, it sounds like there's some particulars when it comes to the social impact side, but there's also kind of the general consulting skill set. So you have experience in both you know, traditional consulting and now at Bridgespan. So I'm curious, how is the work at Bridgespan similar to or different from more traditional management consulting? And what skills do you think carry over from your time at PwC? And what new skills did you have to learn in order to be successful at Bridgespan? Yeah, I, I will say, um, I always joke, I feel like I came off the consulting conveyor belt straight into business school. And for better or worse, I'm grateful for that that training I had straight from undergrad. I think there's some critical kind of consulting skills that are universal, regardless of the clients that you're working with. Things like understanding how to do financial modeling or storytelling with slides, understanding how to bring a critical mindset to some of the problems that you're solving, creating structure when there's a bunch of data that you're trying to sift through and make sense of. Those things tend to be pretty consistent across all consulting firms and my experience of, of working in a couple. I think the key thing that makes Bridgeband different, other than the fact that the, the problems that we're solving are societal problems and our clients are solving some of these big societal problems, is I would say the application of racial equity in the way that we deliver some of these solutions and recommendations for our client. So I'll give you an example. 80% of our cases have some sort of racial equity lens. And they, this may be where you're working with a due diligence client and you're not only focused on the organizations that that client may invest in and be potential grantees for, but you're also thinking about what's the leadership of that team? What's the makeup of that team? Are they proximate to the community that they're trying to serve? So for us, when we're doing the community college case, one huge thing is one of the organizations we worked for, the CEO was a community college student. She was first generation right? Like there's decision making that will be different if you are proximate to those organizations. And I, I just really appreciate that level of detail and appreciation and care that Birchband has in bringing racial equity to our cases. Um, similar with the case that we had, I was mentioning our mental health intervention case, right? They wanted to focus on Title I schools, which is great. But a big question is, are you going to be reaching BIPOC students if you're focusing on Title I schools, right? And so I think there's always somebody in the room who will ask that additional follow-up question when it comes to, to racial equity in a lot of our cases. Another thing that makes Birchband very different is we're focused on some of these really meaty problems that may be personal. LGBTQ rights, rights of women, reproductive rights, voting rights, like these things are super personal to us, right? And one thing that Bridgespan does is oftentimes current events directly impact the work that we do, the recommendations that we have, and our clients who are on the field every single day. And so I just really appreciate partners being like, hey, the George Floyd verdict just came out. And we recognize that there are folks who are working on criminal justice cases. And we recognize that people have personal connections to these particular issues. Let's create a processing space for you to help think about how this may not impact your work. And also, how does this impact you as a person? Are you okay? Like, how are you doing? And I just, I think there's a level of humanity that gets brought into the work just by the nature of our cases that I just really, really appreciate. And I really haven't experienced this consulting or not. I really haven't experienced at any other company I've worked at. 
Hmm. You know, it sounds like maybe unlike a typical consultant, it's probably easier to get wrapped up in the work that you're doing at a place like Bridgespan because there's this emotional connection. Is it difficult sometimes when you have such weighty issues that you're dealing with to stay professional and on task? You know, I'm so glad you asked this question because the number one thing I asked before I joined Bridgeban, I asked folks like, what do you do to protect your mental palace in this work? And even our clients, our clients who are on the fields every day, I worked with feminist movements and they're here during a time where there's a huge attack on abortion rights. And that's a lot of the work that they do, right? Like how do you keep the energy and the motivation for some of these things? And I got a lot of, advice and perspectives about these things all the way from sometimes you just got to like turn off social media and like binge watch new girl right yeah <laughs> all the way to sometimes you just need to not be actively put on cases that maybe you have a personal identity identity and connection to um but i think the most important advice i got was actually from a client because i was i was looking at the structure of philanthropy in the world that we live in today. And it can feel crippling sometimes, right? It can feel like there's all these problems in the world and I want to solve them. And it's an overwhelming level of helplessness that you feel sometimes because it's like, where do I start? Am I even making a dent? Like all of this stuff. And then my client said, you really have to understand what your mandate is. You really have to understand what you want to do in this space because then the rest of the noise will go away. And for her, her mandate was, I want to make sure that I am able to use philanthropic dollars, I'm really good at fundraising, and give those to both cis and trans Black women around the world so that they can solve some of their problems in their communities. And I really appreciate that because it allows you to put these blinders on. Um, and it doesn't mean that she doesn't care about what's happening in Ukraine and she doesn't care about the voting rights and she doesn't care about race in America. Like it's all of these things. Sure. But I do think regrounding yourself in what is the purpose of me being in this work has been super helpful. And so when I think about the work that I want to do in economic mobility, it's the conversations that I have with our clients and the beneficiaries of our client services who are like, this is how it changed my life. This is the additional amount of students we were able to help because Bridgeband created whatever operating model or strategic plan that helped us get there. I think that's what continues to give me energy for this work. Having boundaries in a way to sustain so you can still drive your purpose is, I think, one of the healthiest ways to go about such impactful work. Yeah, I think one thing I will also mention is change is slow. Mm -hmm. Like true, lasting, sustainable change is slow. And I think oftentimes as young people, we are impatient. We want to blow up the system. We, wanna, we want it to be different tomorrow, right? And we see all these inequities. And so I think for me, it's a piece of like respecting the patience of that. I have some clients, like my community college client, like that actually ended in our client giving $8 million to organizations to focus on community colleges. So you have some really direct pieces like that. But you focus on the work that I did with feminist movements, and you look at the reproductive movement that started in the 60s, all the way still happening to today. And some of the challenges are a little bit different, but it all kind of rhymes, right? And so I think one thing that's also really big is taking the wins where you can get them. 
And that's one thing that I really learned from a lot of my clients in the feminist space is how are we redefining what success actually is? For us, I think it's really assessing like, what is the immediate win? Is it the they're going to cut a check today and it's going to be $8 million and it's going to completely transform this organization? Or is it going to be this is a piece of a building block for this longer term strategy on how we want society to be better overall? And I think majority of our work falls in that latter category because change is slow. And it can be frustrating. Like, I'm not going to lie, right? Like, sometimes I'm like, oh, why do we still have these problems? We're talking about the same things over and over. And not just at Bridgepoint, just in society where we're having a lot of these um, conversations that rhyme. But I also acknowledge the fact that the way people are giving today is different. Mm -hmm. The problems that people are focusing on and investing in are different. The types of social enterprises that are coming out of the entrepreneurship community are different. And the makeup of the people who are running those organizations are different. And so if you keep reminding yourself of those things, I think that also is like, all right, we're making this progress and chipping away at, at this big monolith of societal justice, really. Hmm. What's what's the tech company where their, their like, motto is go fast and break things? I feel like what you're describing is like, go slow and fix things. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I think it's true. I think there's two things. Um, when I was at, so when I was at Stern, um, CISA has their conference that they do every year. And um, I forget what the woman's name was. I think it was Hannah Jones from Nike, the head of innovation. And she made a really poignant, she made a good point. She was like, if you're focused on social impact and in this space, in the private sector space, or you're moving private sector capital to this space, um, as well as like, some of these other sectors, but really that was her frame. She said, you have to make a decision. Are you going to infiltrate and make change from within? Mm -hmm. Or are you going to be the person from without yelling and wanting to blow up the system? Hmm. And to be honest, I think we need both. Where do you see yourself in that dichotomy? I think that's a good question. I would say, I think, I think Bridgman is of the mindset of we are going to change within, right? We have the ear of a lot of influential philanthropists. Let's slowly and surely make change within. I say personally, I'm a little bit of both. I think some things I'm like, let's blow up the system. Like this is clearly not working. Um, but then I think part of me is also like, we don't know what the alternative is because mm -hmm. the alternative may have some of these negative repercussions and consequences that we didn't think of sure. because no society is going to be perfect. Um, so I do find myself like oscillating back and forth between the two. And it's interesting because I'll speak to some of the more junior folks at Bridgeband and they are all hardcore. Let's blow up the system. Like we need to be activists. We need to be more radical. Um, and I'm like, I hear you, but I also recognize that there's like, it's intricate and complex what you're trying to blow up. And we don't know who will be casualty if we did do that. Yeah, there's a lot of feedback loops and things that you can't foresee until you push the first domino, right? Exactly. Exactly. But also that's how change happens, right? Like sometimes you need somebody to push that first domino. Sometimes you need somebody to think about something in a completely different way. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I could see both. I, this is very much the consultant answer. It depends. <laughs> yeah. um, but I could, I could see both sides. So kind of zooming out to the sector at large, uh, I think I just saw on the news recently, Mackenzie Scott donated about half a billion dollars to Habitat for Humanity. 
What kind of impact does, do these kinds of major donations have on the sector overall? Do you see this as a trend that will continue? Is this kind of particular to Mackenzie Scott? What, what do you see as the impact of this kind of work? Yeah, I, I, I will say a couple things. This is part of the, the change being slow. So I cannot wait to see what the ultimate um, impact of, of those investments and those organizations. I think a couple things I will know. She is giving in a way that is actually kind of causing the, the grant making sector to evolve. And I think the sector was already kind of getting there, but McKinsey Scott blew it wide open. So she's giving unrestricted dollars, which essentially means here's the money, do with it as you will, because you know how best your organization operates and you know what you need to invest in. A lot of philanthropists will just invest in the program side. We want to make sure that this money helps you target X amount of students or X amount of trees or whatever um, they're making the investment in. A lot of organizations actually need investment in capacity building. They need leadership. They need to think about strategy. They need the space to be able to think about strategy so they're not continually thinking about, okay, what's the next fundraising goal that we need? And so giving unrestricted dollars is really allowing to give them that space to think more strategically. I think the other piece that she's doing that I just so appreciate, and particular as being like a Black woman who's worked with startups in a space that oftentimes women and people of color do not get the same backing that their white male counterparts get. She's also giving to organizations that are led by BIPOC leaders, that are led by women. Oftentimes we use this phrase like constituency-led organizations, organizations that are led by people who represent the populations they're trying to serve because they are the closest to the problem. And I think the, the last piece is Bridgman actually just wrote an article about BIPOC organizations creating their own endowments as a way of a financial vehicle. So uh, a partner out of the San Francisco office, as well as our managing partner, did some research specifically focused on how Black-led organizations can create endowments. And she is also supporting some of those endowment creations, which kind of blows the lid off in terms of funding vehicles that these organizations can use. And so I think as more folks are seeing, like she's such a sizable impact on the giving and more folks are thinking about how we can innovate our grant making process. Like my hope is that more, more people on the, the foundations and philanthropy side are giving in a way that McKinsey Scott is giving. There's a couple things that will stick with me from the interviews I had with movement leaders. But one of the movement leaders said, I wish that folks in philanthropy gave the way they do in venture capital. You invest in a really good idea and you invest in a really good team. And that's not normally how it happens in philanthropy, but that is what McKinsey Scott is doing almost, right? She's investing in these really good ideas and really good people who understand the problems and their customers or constituencies or whatever you want to call them, beneficiaries, the best. And I think that's really what I hope will be more money will move in that direction. Looking at your whole journey, I feel like you've been really led by making an impact, by economic mobility. Can you tell us more about like this North Star concept or what is your big driver for your, for your work? I love that you asked this question because I know I sat on a panel and I was, I was bringing up this North Star thing. I actually developed this when I was an MBA too. Mm. And it's so interesting because when you're going through recruiting, you get siloed, right? Like you're really focused on, I want to do consulting or I want to do investment banking or tech or brand management, whatever. And you go through this like very structured recruiting process 
But when you're focused on social impact, it's not as structured, right? Like you have some organizations like MasterCard who have social impact and maybe more on that structured path. And then you have some other organizations where you can intern at like UNICEF that have a more fluid kind of recruiting structure. And I just remember being in business school and freaking out my classmates because they would be like, what are you recruiting for? And I was like, I'm recruiting for positions I would want to actually do. And it was just like so mind boggling to them because they were like, no, no, no. But like consulting, investment, ba- like, what are you recruiting for? And I'm like, I'm recruiting for jobs that I would want to do. Like, that is what I want to do. <laughs> and it was just such like a foreign concept to them. And I, I would say just getting back to your North Star question through since this, the moment I knew I wanted to go to business school, I knew what was driving me. I knew it was financial inclusion. I knew it was economic mobility. I knew it was closing the racial wealth gap. I didn't know how I was going to be able to do that, you know? And so I was able to do that a little bit at dosomething.org. I wind up um, running a scholarship program for one of our clients and giving out $10 million to students who wouldn't be able to afford college. So that's part of the economic mobility. I was able to do that at MasterCard as a product manager. Um, And as somebody who was in charge of like account management, because we created this tech for good program and we're thinking about how you target some of these products, programs and solutions with some of our partners in the space. And then I've also been able to do that as consultant at BridgeBand. And so I think one thing that I found and also being a couple years out from Stern is you get the job, you get the Amazon job, you get the McKinsey job, and then you get there and you're like, now what? Mm -hmm. Right? And it's hard for a lot of people because there's this reassessment of like, these are the skills that I want, but like, what do I want for my career? What do I want for my life? What does that look like? A couple of years out, people are getting married, people are having babies, people are buying houses, like, how do I fit this job into my career? And for me, having that North Star of I want to make sure that whatever I'm doing is contributing to closing the racial wealth gap has, like I mentioned, cut out the noise of all of these other things. Yeah. And so that is always like what I said in business school is true. I will apply for jobs that I know that I want to do because they help me achieve that mandate, that North star. Um, And that is how I have made, continued to make career decisions. And I think one of the good things about being a consultant is that you get this very versatile skill set that can be applied to multiple functions. And I think folks get really caught up in the name brand and the function of a role and not really focused on like, what is the work? Like, why do I want to do this work? And like, what does this mean for my purpose? And I think having that like self-reflection and discussion with yourself allows you to be happier in your career, happier in your job, and a little less stress when you're going through the job searching process. Because then you know, like, this is definitely something I want to do. This is definitely an organization I want to work for. This is definitely a mission I want to support. And I, I think it's e- it's easier for folks who want to be in the social sector, because you could say, like, I'm really passionate about women's rights. Like, that's an easy thing to say. But I have friends who are really passionate about technology and people having access to technology and passionate about the way that folks interact with the world. And that's their mandate. So they can do that in the tech space. Um, I have folks who are really passionate about um, solving some really complex problems. 
And like, that's their mandate. That is their North Star. And it doesn't matter what company they work at. They just want to make sure that they're solving some really tough and complex problems. So that may be an investment banking role. That may be a consulting role. Like it's not just specific to social impact. Um, but I do think that check in with yourself will help get clarity as you're applying to the business school process, but also as you're going through the job navigation search throughout your entire career. I feel like when you're going through recruiting and as a spring recruiter right now, MBA, full-time MBA too, there's such a disconnect between like there's work and then there's life. Yep. But to be able to close that gap with really harnessing why, like, why do I want to do this? Where's my reach? Just as a side note, my mom, she passed away in June, but the reason why I was so excited to speak with you today, because my mom left a book called the North Star book. And so I go back and I read it and I look at her purpose and I see what's important in life. And so even with your work at Bridgespan, being able to have your why, your purpose driven, but also really have your North Star for other people, like is very, for me, like just a pleasure to speak with you today. What a gift that your mom, that's such a gift. I I saw this tweet like a couple months ago that was that said something along the lines of working at a cool company is not a personality trait, <laughs> which I like wholeheartedly agree. Right. And yeah. working at a cool company or saying that you're a consultant is not your why. Right. Like it should be it should feel deeper than that. And so I'm just like. I just think that's so beautiful that she like left that for you because that perspective is it's rare. It's rare to think about things that way. Yeah. And the what we're saying in this whole whole interview is having perspective, but also understanding like why, like, why are you working with this firm? Why are you working with this company? When you're looking at someone who's like inspired by your work and wants to be working at Bridgespan or at another company similar, how can someone interested in the similar path get this type of job? Yeah, I think I think there's two folds. I think there is a foundational, strategic, critical thinking framework and experience that, at least foundational experience that Bridgepan is looking for and probably similar companies. We do do those kind of two by two. We love a two by two. We love things that are in three pillars. Like I feel like most consultants do, right? Um, so there's a little bit of like a structured mindset. Um, and we also do like case interviews. There's a structured mindset that's that's valuable. I think the one thing that Bridgepan really is looking for, because to a certain extent, those foundational skills can continue to evolve. They can teach you those things. It's an apprentice model. Most consulting firms are. You will learn those things on the job. Um, but it's really like this dedication to impact. I think folks who apply to Bridgespan and speak about um, why they want to work here, these are folks who are really passionate about solving some of the hardest problems that our world faces, that our country faces. They're really passionate about voter rights. They're really passionate about criminal justice reform or climate or women's rights, whatever it may be. And I think particularly for Bridgman, and I mentioned this, they're also really passionate about equity. How do we create an equitable society? And so even when I was going through my interviews at Bridgeband, they specifically asked me, how do you think about equity in your daily life? Right? Like that's a question that gets asked in your interview. Um, and I have the fortune of sitting on actually not a Stern alum, but an NYU alum, 
uh, fellow Sterney's wife, started an organization called Govern for America, which is similar to Teach for America, but focused on um, bringing a more diverse uh, population of people into local and state governments. And so that was my kind of like answer to that question of like, how do I think about equity? How do I think about um, racial equity and race in this country and equity around the world? I think those particular two things, the like that critical kind of more technical aspect of consulting, as well as the passion and understanding and respect for creating a just and equitable society, those two things together, I think is really what the space needs. Um, and if I was if I was going to say, I would say there's more of an emphasis on the second one, the equity piece, the creating a, a societal need, because like that piece, you can't change. People have to already be bought in. For folks that are interested in this kind of work, are there other classes, programs, opportunities that they should be trying? And then also, are there things that you didn't get to do while you were at Stern that looking back, you're like, boy, if I had done that, that would have been really helpful for my work now at Bridgespan. Yeah, I... You know what's really funny? I think ironically, there's a traditional social impact class. I took social problem-based entrepreneurship with Professor Hans Deparia. Um, and it's pretty much a design thinking class and you create a um, business plan that solves a societal need. And it could be government, it could be a nonprofit, it could be a, a startup, it could be anything. And I think that way of looking at the world of there are opportunities to address some of these challenges and like, let me create that. I really, I really sat with, and I think that is very much at the core of what Bridgepan thinks about. It's like, there are these equity inequities in the world. How do we think about this differently? So I appreciate that class. I think the funniest thing is I took a managing growing company, Glenn Oaken, um, which is ironic because if folks, uh, no, Professor Oaken, he will say, I'm the last true capitalist professor <laughs> at Stern. Um, but I just think it's so interesting because that class focuses on small and medium-sized organizations and the troubles and challenges that they face to really grow to the next level. And I find myself kind of reflecting on that class and what was taught in that class in my work now, because a lot of the challenges that smaller organizations have, nonprofits also have. Resource constraints. Do you have the right talent? Are you able to tap into the right talent? Um, are you able to hit these kind of quote financial quotas because you're not as mature of an organization? Um, and while in the for-profit space, it's genuinely like, how do we um, have a return for our shareholders and stakeholders? And the nonprofit space is how do we have a return impact? And if you're looking at impact investing, sometimes financial return to the folks who invested in us, to the, the donors and funders who invested in us. Um, and then I would also just be remiss if I just not bring up how much I absolutely love and adore Sonia Marciano. I just feel like her class in general is very applicable. Like that mindset and, and structure and way of thinking about strategy really sits in that first thing I said Bridgepan is looking for of some of those more tactical, how do you create a two by two? How do you bring structure to this like really messy situation? Um, I think a lot of the things in her class have been very relevant to, to what I'm doing. I love too how your Stern education was a way for you to think differently, like with design thinking, think about ways Marciano taught you to rethink a two by two in, a, in different terms or whatnot. 
And then I'm curious, as we're at the end, towards the end of our podcast, Jasmine, for you personally, not representing Rich Band, do you have any predictions for the future of business or purpose, um, in impact investing? Is Do you feel like the landscape is changing? Are we moving in a good direction? You personally, where do you see this trend, the trends going? Oof. I know that I hate the big one. Yeah. It's a meaty question. Um, <laughs> so there's two things I'm sitting with. Mm-hmm. On one side, I'm sitting with the fact that there is a closing of civil societies, which means the ability to mobilize and create movement for things that are focused on social justice and all of these other kind of impact areas is getting harder because of institutions, established institutions, maybe government, maybe something else. And that's not only in the U.S., that's everywhere. So that may be voting rights here in the U.S., but that also may be gay and trans rights on the continent of Africa and everything in between, climate rights in Mexico. And so I think that there is that phenomenon that is happening. But I do think change is a pendulum, and it's almost like a two-sided coin. There's always going to be an opposition to one of those things. And so you're having this closing of civil societies, but you're also having these like really big seismic movements happening around the world. Um, And also you're having a huge investment from philanthropy, from other organizations on grassroots movements, grassroots leaders, organizations that are smaller, that aren't as established, but are super, super close and proximate to the communities that they're trying to impact. And that's really honestly how change happens is at that grassroots level. And so I'm sitting with both of those things. And I will say, I wish I had a crystal ball to say what the future will hold. But I can tell you that I am hopeful for a couple of reasons. I'm hopeful because my work, my work would do something. Speaking to those young people who are staging walkouts, who are protesting um, violence at schools and gun shootings at schools, who are really passionate at making sure that mental health is accessible to not only them, not only to their neighbors, but also to the kids who are bused into their high school. Um, You're seeing 11-year-olds at these huge movements talking about Black women being disappeared and how we need to be focusing on that. You're seeing huge movements and support for folks in the trans community. And so I think that there's this widening of people recognizing that we're like all in this together. And I think we're at a very critical moment where folks are trying to figure out how do you act. Mm -hmm. And I personally am hopeful. And I've seen, particularly if I look at some of the younger folks, like my little cousin is like, I say little, but he's like 22, right? I look Mm -hmm. at folks in his age demographic and how how much of an activist and how much they want to run for office and how much they want to be an agent of change. I think that's what's going to give me hope. Um, I will leave if if this question was was up to my mom. My mom always calls me. She's like a little bit of like a hippie, but she um, she's like once you your generation and the younger generations take um, power across all of these institutions, we're supposed to have a hundred years of peace. This is her her conspiracy theory, and I was like, I think that would be beautiful, and I do think that there is the potential in some version of that. Um, And I just am very hopeful as I see some of these younger folks 
um, come up and people investing in their ideas and the way that they want to change the world. Hmm. Well, I, I love being able to end on a hopeful note. That's always nice. Yeah, and a conspiracy theory. <laughs> and a good conspiracy theory. A good conspiracy theory. <laughs> This was a true pleasure. Thank you so much, Jasmine. It's, I'm so inspired. I'm excited to think more about my North Star and also understand that there is hope for us in the future too. Jasmine, thank you so much. This has been fascinating and I uh, really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Uh, thank you again to Jasmine and our whole Stern Chats team. It was such a privilege to record this episode. Moreover, we'd love to give a huge shout out to all of our listeners. We love making podcasts for you. Stay tuned for more.